Hello, welcome to the Right Way to Mother, a series where we explore the intersection of art and motherhood. This is Sasha Xiao, and you're listening to the first episode of this series. Um, in terms of how this idea was conceived and manifested, I actually wrote、uh, a letter on Substack. So, if you are interested to find out, you can read it there. I will link it in the show note. My guest today is Rachel Yoder, author of Night Bitch, which was published last year in 2021. It's categorized as a novel, although I would argue it's more a cross-genre piece. That is part autofiction, part science fiction, part memoir, and part novel. It's so many things at once. You know what I mean? The protagonist in the book is an artist and a stay-at-home mom who gradually turns into a dog. Yes, you heard it right. This is one of the most bizarre and imaginative books I have read in a long time. It's dark, funny, weird, wild, and it's magical and provocative. It's an easy read to devour. I read it. Pretty quickly, at least the first, you know, hundred fifty pages. But then it's a difficult read to digest. At least it's my own experience. And this complicated experience also was quite similar to Rachel's writing experience. The initial idea came to her quite organically, but as a mother herself with a son at home. Plus the pandemic in the mix, plus the messy process of writing, a lot of her personal experiences definitely have been manifested in the book. And let me tell you something: this is a very special episode, not only because it's the first of this series, but also is the first time I'm joined by a co-host. <laughs> I know. I am just as excited. Her name is Elizabeth Pelanco. So Elizabeth is a writer and editor based in Toronto. And when she's not writing or editing, she works at one of the most beloved vintage shops, Mama Loves You.、Uh, I'm sure many of you are frequent visitors. Elizabeth was actually the one who introduced me to this book. She loved it so much that she thought I should definitely dive into it. Which she was completely right. I invited Elizabeth to join me on this conversation because I was curious to hear about her reading experience. You know, has been different or similar to mine, considering she isn't a mother herself. And this conversation is very rich. <laughs> I know I I say that about many conversations, but this one is very much so. And so I don't want to pick a few highlights here to summarize for you, like I usually would for other Dear Seekers episodes. I'm inviting you to experience your own highlights. And last thing, thank you so much for being here. I really hope you enjoy today's conversation. Never talk ahead of time about what questions we have for you. So we are both in in this dark with you. 
<laughs> so we don't know. I don't know what her question is, and then she doesn't know my question. I think you just want to go with the flow and I'm very candid.、Um, one thing I really am interested in her perspective, Elizabeth's perspective, is she's not a mother herself, and so as a reader, I wonder what her experience was like. Because obviously, we don't have to be a mother to read this book. Yeah, that was basically my introduction.、Um, Sasha and I actually met.、Uh, I work in a vintage store, and she was a customer there, and so she came into the shop. And I just a lot of her her posts on social media were really speaking to what I was picking up in the novel. And I was like, you need to you need to like meet this book and like have this come into your life. And I was only about like maybe a few quarters of the way through the book, and so she went and and bought it, and then. Um, I'm so glad she enjoyed it as much as I did, but、um, yeah, I guess as my point, like not being be not being a mother, it just the book just like gripped me, and I found it so、um, invigorating, and I found it so exciting, and it it really it kind of scared me a little bit in a way where it, I was like, oh my goodness, like do would I have this kind of like dormant power and hunger and all of these kinds of like Things let lay under your skin are just waiting to come out when you bring a new life, you know, into this world. And so I found it.、Um, yeah, I, I guess I wrote. It made me think of、um, that kind of like superhuman mother strength that women have when they're like, "Oh, I lifted a car to save my child" and stuff like that. So, yeah, it just made, it kind of frightened me in a, in like a titillating kind of way of like, would I have this? Like, where does where does this come from? This kind of motherly power, I guess. Hmm. So maybe I can pass the mic to you, and then you can ask some questions as a reader and as editor yourself, Elizabeth. Oh, sure. Yeah. Um. Another thing that I found really that really struck me was like the body is so central in this in this book. Like I think there's so much happening, not just to the protagonist, but the body itself as kind of this side of like there's transformation and there's betrayal and there's.、Mm. Like hunger and desire and、uh, like a bit of horror too. Like it, that the scene where she feels like the hair on her neck and those teeth and the with the scene with the cat. Like there was just so much that was happening as with the body. Like it felt so visceral that way. So I was just curious about like your what you wanted to convey with、um, with the body basically in in the novel. Well, first of all. Thank you both for being here and、um, for reading the book and for dedicating some brain time to thinking about it, and then some lots you know, of brain time <laughs> and to talking about it.、Um, I'm always so honored to have thoughtful readers, so thank you so much.、Um, and I think starting with the body or a question about the body is very apt. That's Exactly where the book began, you know, is where the book begins is where I began,、uh, basically where I began writing. And when I when I kind of came up with this concept, I didn't know what it meant. I didn't know what I was trying to communicate,、um, but it felt very compelling and very provocative, and like an idea. That was correct, and I absolutely needed to follow into a story. And you know, now that I've had all this time to talk about the book and think about the book, in retrospect, 
it seems to me that in this story, the body is obviously expressing something that the mother herself cannot express. And the body is very much ahead of where the mother is, um, you know, like in her mind consciously. So the body unconsciously is, is expressing these unconscious urges that the mother's not even in touch with yet. Um, and the body's ahead of her and it's saying, okay, we're going somewhere and you're coming along for the ride, whether or not you like it. And I have some things to teach you. And so for the mother, at first she resists the call of her body. She, she, she thinks it's horrific. She's frightened of it. Um, but then she finds that if she becomes curious about it, right, if she moves into some sort of relationship and understanding with what her body is trying to tell her, that's actually what leads her towards some sort of like reconciliation with her body, some sort of wholeness, right, where she's no longer estranged from the sensations of her body, what her body is trying to tell her. And I think you know, a big part of this story is that she abandons herself and abandons her what her body is trying to tell her in early motherhood for this other little body that she's made, right? Like that that she's created something and all of her attention goes goes to a body outside herself and she's just completely ignored um, what's going on inside of her. And so, and that was a story that also like really resonated with my own personal story. And I didn't realize, um, I didn't realize it till much later. Mm -hmm. And I found it interesting because Elizabeth talked about the body, right? The body embodiment as well. And then that kind of reminded me an interview you did, you talk about this phrase came to you as split into two. It's like, you know, this baby, this human being is part of your body is a cells kind of like coming out of your body, but still the cells you created, you produced in a way. And you're so attached, but at the same time, you're detaching from the cell that came out from your body. And also you talk about the violence that, you know, giving birth is, whatever is from natural birth, um, or it's like have a knife, literally cut your part of body to pull this organ out right so a lot of times like yeah you did touch a lot about this vis- physicalness of uh of the the dog and the night bitch and and also that kind of tied up to motherhood as well because when i remember the first time elizabeth told me about this book and i was like kind of like a bizarre idea you know <laughs> the first idea was like really like how could someone master this? Because it could be the best or the worst idea in a way. <laughs> so I was at first I was kind of hesitating in a way when she shared the the kind of like the uh, the story and, and the the title of the book. And uh, but then the more she talked about it, and then after I read into it, you really brought this story life because it's like in a way that it's almost like a science fiction, but also memoir, you really tap into a very kind of like cross-drama-wise in terms of writing this book. And then sometimes like almost a little bit auto-fiction uh, as well. So can you tell me a little bit more? Uh, maybe, sorry, Elizabeth, I, I, told, I told you I would hand over the mic to you, but I couldn't resist. No, it's great to have a conversation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You can jump in anytime. 
Well, there's so much, yeah, in what you just said. Um, I mean, in terms of genre, yes, I wanted I wanted it to be a mashup of a lot of things, and I wanted to explore the possibility of sort of writing into a lot of um, different genres and using a lot of different modes. I have MFAs in both fiction and nonfiction, so it's very it's a very provocative idea for me to say, okay, I'm going to ex- try and explode genre and just do whatever I want in a book. And um, actually the very first thing I wrote in the book was uh, the scene with the breast pump. Her, she's like pumping at work and sort of on a rant. Um, and I thought that was going to be an essay, but I just had this voice and it didn't go anywhere. It was just this rant about pumping at work. Um, and so that got folded in, right? So this sort of like autobiographical essayistic thing gets folded in, um, to the book and to speak to your, uh, your statement that this seems like it could have been a really bad idea. I completely agree. Um, and that was part of the appeal to me. It felt like a challenge, like, a book about a mom turning into a dog is absolutely a horrible idea and seems like it would not work at all. Um, so I was like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to make it work. Like I'm going to see how I can make it work. Um, so yeah, so not only sort of the subject matter was interesting to me, but in terms of it being an artistic problem. I was also really interested in, you know, I could bring in these sort of letters she writes to Wanda White. I could bring in a sort of essayistic mode where she's sort of talking about, you know, larger issues and ranting. And then I can also bring in a storytelling mode um, and the sort of fantastical. Uh, so, so yeah, like bringing in horror or fantasy, um, but also wanting it to have pathos, right? Like not wanting it to just be a sort of formal uh, exercise, also ultimately wanting it to really connect with readers. Um, So that's what kind of kept it interesting for me as I was moving through it and writing. One thing that I feel obviously must be uh, such a draw for readers, again, like mothers and people who, who don't identify that way at all, is it felt like you were kind of like pulling back the veneer of motherhood in a way where motherhood feels like it's everywhere and nowhere at the same time. I feel like we are surrounded by like influencers and these really sanitized ideas of, you know, what modern motherhood or womanhood or whatever is right now. And there is this kind of like vulnerability, but it is still very sanitized where it's like, I had a really hard morning. It is so hard out there. But the novel was just like, it just, ripped it back and it showed that you know motherhood is like monotonous and sometimes it's violent and ugly and gross and like beautiful and like there's resentment and like betray there was just like so much that I felt is has either been kind of like packaged in a way that makes it very yeah like flat and not uh honest but I felt that the novel was just very honest about motherhood Mm. Yeah, and I also feel like because it's um, cross-drawn, it's not really a memoir or novel, it's kind of like allows reader or a writer, I guess, in a way that you can go to the darkest corner of motherhood without 
having to justify something. Like you could go there, and the reader could go with you, and and in that darkness, actually, almost feel like it's not dark because the mother's hood experience has been seen, and then so yeah, I feel I find that very interesting.、Um, when you were writing this book, was that any corner was so dark to you? Didn't you kind of afraid to to get there? Well, first of all, I really like that idea of the fantastical sort of bringing safety, psychological safety to the book, right? Like where you can go to the dark places because we're just pretending. Like this is a this is a mom who turns into a dog. It's not real. So、um, maybe that was a way that I sort of tricked myself to get to the darker parts.、Um, I felt really uncomfortable with the cat scene, and I still feel uncomfortable. And I still don't know if it's correct. I don't know if I wrote it correctly,、um, and I still have a lot of questions about it. And I do. I guess I did. I did, and I do still worry about that. That I'll lose people there.、Um, that that's where they'll stop reading. That it's it's too much.、Um, and. I, Yes, I guess. I guess I also worried about sort of the rantiness of the first section. If, if it was too angry、um, for too long,、uh, but I think so many women really that first section for them is really cathartic.、Um, And which I which I did not anticipate whatsoever. I guess I didn't really have a hold on how the book would be received while I was writing it because I was so deep in sort of my own experience that、um, I was doing something that felt correct for what I needed to write. You know, it was a very sort of personal writing experience. So then, when it became this book and other people were responding to it, it was very. Surprising, because I had felt so alone in my experience of early motherhood, that then to have this whole community of readers say, "No, this book is me. Like this book is channeling something I thought no one else knew. Like you're in my head," and、um, <clears throat> that was a really surprising experience for me as a writer. Hmm. And I I also found it kind of interesting as well because you talk about. The hesitation to to write this book in the beginning have so much rant going on, kind of like just get that anger out. But that's ironically the real life, because in real life motherhood, nobody wanted to hear your rant all day long. You almost have to get yourself、mm-hmm. together and face the world alone, with some sort of like as as Elizabeth says, sanitized idea of like I had a bad day, but I'm all good now, kind of thing. It's like I wrap everything up and. I'm ready to tackle. So, in a way, that kind of like worked out because that was the time that people, or mother, or readers, need to kind of hear that from their own perspective as well to get that out from their system. That's a great. That's a really great point because when you are deep in parenting or mothering, you have to regulate yourself, right? You have to be on task. You have to be available for other. You know, creatures who you're responsible for their care, and so there isn't、um, the luxury of being able to like indulge in your really strong feelings. There's something that you're keeping at bay somewhere in your body.、Uh, 
Um, and there is a point at which they need to get out. Uh, who knows when that, when that will be, but, but you're, yeah, that's absolutely correct. That perhaps it's this way for people to get in touch with those feelings that they just, I mean, there's just not an opportunity to express, especially as we've had this pandemic and people have been at home with their families like 24 seven. Um, and like, where's the release valve? Like, how do you, how do you like find the time and space to, not only release those feelings, but to like be yourself and find yourself and find what makes you you. Mm. And I want to get to the the book again later, but I also kind of um, go along with the the thing you mentioned about pandemic because you wrote this book when it was po- before pandemic, right? It's not during right. the pandemic, mm-hmm. and then you did a revision and everything during the pandemic, and now it's. The book is out, and you're promoting it. We're still in the midst of it. So, what's the the diff? Like, how is that this process been like for you? Because I also I was stalking your Twitter as well, and you were talking about kind of jokingly, playfully. Uh, has anybody also experienced some sort of spiritual awakening? So, I wonder is there anything that you through this whole process of like start writing to now having this, you know, book tour or whatever? What's your experience has been like? Yeah, I mean it's it's been pretty intense. So I I sold the book in January 2020 Ooh. and March 2020 is when it when it all hit. Um so I was going deep with the material during that first year um of the pandemic and revisiting it in a you know in a way I hadn't revisited it since I really wrote it. Um with you know, the, a lot of uncertainty, would my child be going back to school in the fall? Like, or would I be back with him 24 seven with my husband traveling like we were together when he was very young in those years that inspired night bitch, you know? Um, and so that, that felt really scary to me, um, that prospect. And returning to night bitch, you know, having it launch in the middle of the pandemic was actually a really fraught experience for me because, um, I didn't want to return to the feelings of the book, you know, like the writing the book was sort of, you know, my way of working through it. And I've also heard from readers that, you know, they have to take breaks with the book because it's really, it can be really triggering. Um, even many years later, even decades later, to like return to that time of early motherhood um, and to sort of the desperation of it. And so, yeah, I mean, book tour has been this process of trying to, you know, be authentic and go deep with these conversations that people want to have while at the same time, like figuring out how to not go so deep that I lose myself back in the story. Um, yeah. And in terms of, in terms of spiritual awakening, I don't know how much that, I mean, I guess it is probably related to night bitch, but it also feels like we've sort of been on like a two year long retreat. I know, um, we're all at different, uh, levels of quarantine, but I've been pretty in my house for two years and, um, it's just, been a time of like pretty deep contemplation and high anxiety. So therefore needing to come up with some tools to really manage, 
you know, this anxiety that's been with me for my whole life. Um, yeah, I don't know. How has quarantine been for both of you? Has it, do you find it's been a time of, um, contemplation and change or has it been more like stagnation and, uh, drudgery? I let Elizabeth take the mic. I I don't, it feels like both. Um, I'm in the middle of a move right now. And so I feel a bit in this weird transitional space. Um, and so I'm like, I feel like there's like some, something is like, there's movement in my life, but then everything else is still kind of at a standstill. Like, um, I think we've like Toronto has been, we've, we've had lockdowns that have like lasted for really, really long. And now we're having restrictions lifted and that doesn't feel safe. So it just, it feels like we get these like stop, start, like two steps forward, or no, one step forward, like three steps back. It's, yeah, it's like there's very halted movement. There's like a little bit of something going and then it stops again. And so it's, it's hard to kind of get into a groove of anything. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I'm still just coming out from the newly motherhood phase. So that's why the book resonated with me so much. And um, I, I don't know, like what would, I guess the I'm kind of feel blessed in a way because this is my first or only child at this point. So I had like no comparison in a way to if the experience otherwise. So for me, definitely a lot of loneliness. But then I thought, Maybe that's just motherhood in a way. And then as exactly what your point earlier, um, Rachel is like, yeah, like sometimes you feel like these experiences are just so um, solely to me. They're not going to be universal to other people. But rationally, you kind of also know you got to be universal. <laughs> so in a way, you have these like emotional and rational debate with yourself. And and I kind of go back to the book in a way you talk about the wellness culture, which is something I experienced during the pandemic when we had the rules lifted and we could actually go out and, and with distance. And there are so many like mommy clubs. There's one that for a personal story, there's a one it's called like mommy and running club or something. And then they would have all these fancy strollers and mommy will run with the stroller in a very small group. <laughs> and then they all like dress very nicely and, and one time I was just with my son alone, two of us, and I just feel like this desire to have like very meaningful conversation yet alone. Um, so I feel like I will be more alone if I join them than mm. actually be my be with myself. So that the, your book definitely touched upon that, the herbal community, you know, like the, the you know, ML um, situation as well. So I wonder... What do you think the the wellness like industry or culture has failed mothers? Because to be honest, I could see many of the mothers in the the mother and running club weren't actually, you know, very engaged. Mm. There's some you can see their the mind wander somewhere else, but they're they're trying to trick themselves into believing this kind of like togetherness somehow will bring them togetherness <laughs> but you know but I don't think that was working for us at least many of them I've seen yeah um I like what you said about feeling alone even in a group because that was also my experience in early motherhood and I think you know the the whole MLM thing one I thought would be sort of just a fun storyline like the idea of mommies high on herbs I thought oh I can do something with that um, 
And there is something to be said about, you know, an MLM bringing women together. Like I'm all for women coming together, but it's women coming together around something that's hollow at its core, something that's not meaningful at its core, that's sort of offering counterfeit meaning, you know, that's um, comes in sort of marketing speech and is all about you fulfilling yourself via capitalism, you know, via like selling and like um, that's, that's the road to self-fulfillment is like becoming part of like the economic story of your family and getting back to work and earning, right? Which to me, I'm like, no, 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 that's no, don't go there. That's the wrong story. Like, can we come together as women and have a different story? That's, that's not about achievement and earning and this sort of counterfeit happiness. That's about actually having like conversations, being really honest about your loneliness and your struggle, which is you know what night bitch wants? She wants someone to see her, to really see her. She doesn't want to dress up in her perfect mommy costume, right? And there's a sense that all these women are sort of dressed up in their perfect mommy costumes with their perfect mommy accoutrement, right? Like all the expensive stuff. And that's all sort of, um, it's a costume, it's a shield, rather being something that opens them up to genuine connection. And so I was interested in, you know, what's what's counterfeit in mommy culture and what's the actual genuine impulse behind behind it. Um, and I think that's what I was trying to get at with the MLM, you know, that in the end, like Night Bitch, she does really want to be friends. She wants to connect with Jen. And it's when Jen offers some vulnerability, some deep vulnerability that they're they're actually able then to come together rather than um, have on their like their kind of armor. Uh, yeah, yeah. Wow. Lucas, was, do you have any question before I jump into the next? No, I was just. I, I don't want to take the mic so much. No, no, please, please. Um, no, I also I was just thinking that point about like the that kind of the group of women and how you know there's like this the pack of dogs and I really liked that night bitch wasn't like just this isolated animal that she finds this like yeah this kind of ragtag group of dogs and it made me think of like when animals are kind of like you know they were taken from the wild early and then they get mm -hmm. released and they have to like relearn how to be whatever you know like have find those instincts again and find like yeah, like what they were born with, but was kind of like warped and changed over time. So I thought, like, could you talk a little bit about, I guess, your process of when the novel started to change from this is going to be a personal essay to this is like propelling into a novel, I guess. Sure. Yes. And I, I think that's a great point you make about going back and trying to find the thing that's been domesticated, trying to get back to your wildness I also thought of it as getting back to your weirdness because I was like, these moms are actually, there's something weird about each one of them, deeply weird. 
And I want to know what it is, you know, like I, I want to know what their weirdness is, their particular weirdness. Um, I guess, you know, I thought it was going to be an essay. I thought the novel was going to be essay. Then I thought it was going to be a story collection because I really, you know, didn't have aspirations of writing a novel or being a novelist. I hadn't even really thought that much about novels. I didn't read novels that much. Um, but when I found, when Night Bitch like presented her voice to me, when she started ranting and then I got this sort of playful idea of the mom turning into a dog, when those two things came together, she just wouldn't stop talking. Like she was just like, okay, let's sit down again. I have more to say. Okay, let's sit. You know, so every day I would come back and she would show up too. And then it was like, okay. Well, I guess, I guess we're off to the races. Um, I don't know exactly what this is. And I, I got to the end of the first section. And I feel like there is a sort of nice arc that happens in the first section, right? You like wind up with her first transformation, which felt very much like a long short story to me because I know the rhythms of short story writing. And I was a little bit scared because I thought, oh, is this just a really long short story that has actually nowhere to be like, there's no, no one will publish this. No one will know what this is. Um, and so when I got to that point, I sort of had to figure out what I was doing. Like if the story was big enough to take up a novel, how I was going to propel it out of that situation and into the rest of the book. And that's when it really became a novel for me and sort of showed me its form um, because I did have more inquiry to do, I thought, you know, like I, I, I was interested in friendship and motherhood. I was interested in the marriage and how, you know, that would sort of unwind and what would happen. I was interested in, I was really interested in Wanda White. I wanted to know more about her. Um, and so those were sort of the storylines and questions that propelled me beyond that first section. Hmm. Yeah, I want to get to Wonder White very quickly because she's a very fascinating woman in the book. But I also want to, or not even a woman, fascinating. <laughs> entity. <laughs> oh <my God>. Yeah. <laughs> entity. Yes, exactly. But I also wanted to talk about kind of tack what uh, the conversation is going right now. It's about the prop the process right from the the how the creative process and you are the editor of draft journal before going to draft journal i also wanted to kind of tag into that as well so draft journal is kind of you you publish a journal of um, writers and from their first draft right side by side to their last draft kind of show the messiness of the process so it's kind of interesting you talk about how it started as this possibly be short stories to a novel now. So what was the messiness in between that you kind of cut out and you felt like maybe wasn't really serving the the end of, of this copy of the book? Yeah. I mean, a lot of the messiness was actually just silence, was a lack of anything, of knowing where to go. Um, and there were two years before... I began writing this book after my son was born and before I began writing it where I didn't write. It was deep silence. It was the first time in my adult life that happened. And it was absolutely terrifying because I, 
I didn't know how to find my way back to the page. So that was definitely part of part of this process, a deep, silent terror. Um, so then, you know, the things I got left out were I thought this was a short story collection. So there are a lot of there's definitely false starts of short stories that have kind of been left in folders. Um, there's an entire short story I published in Guernica online called The Loaf, um, which if you read it, it's about this mother who's also an artist, but she's a bread artist. Um, <laughs> and so I think I was working out some ideas for Night Bitch in that story. Uh, like she made bread? Art well, bread? A, a loaf a <laughs> loaf of bread just sort of appears in her kitchen one day and she's like, oh, then she becomes enamored of this, like the possibilities of bread. And she starts making huge loaves of bread and eventually makes a huge loaf of bread in her backyard. And then things sort of unwind from there. It causes a lot of um, drama, the loaf, the huge loaf of bread. Mm, yeah. I'm going to read it. <laughs> <laughs> so that's sort of a prototype, I think, for Night Bitch in a lot of ways. Um, and certainly, you know, after those first, the first section of the book, I didn't know where to go. So I sort of wrote in some directions that got abandoned, like Wanda White didn't immediately um, present herself to me. And I had Night Bitch going to see a Midwestern psychic, uh, which felt too kitschy or something. It, it just wasn't working. Um, so I had to return to that. Um, yeah. And then I, but you know, I, I also wanted to be really efficient because I didn't have a lot of time now that I was a mom and I was writing in two and three hour segments, a thousand words at a time. So I'm not usually a planner or an outliner, but I found it really helpful to have um, plot points I was writing toward that I wanted to hit. So um, the first plot point was her full transformation, and I wrote toward that. Then I wrote toward the midpoint, which is the cat scene. I was like, okay, I'm, I need to get her there. I don't know how it's going to happen, but I'm going to get her there. And then um, I wrote toward the final scene, uh, her final performance. So I had these sort of markers along along the way, and I I don't know how I would have done it if I didn't kind of have an idea of where I was going um, and I didn't want to spend a lot of time just meandering around. I, you know, like I was approaching 40. I didn't have a book. I had a little boy. I'm like, I really want to write a book. Like, how do I, I I'm going to do this. So I was just really pushing toward, um, toward these goals as I was writing. Did you have to kind of set, you say you have like two, three hours to write each time. Mm -hmm. How was that like, did you have to like really protect that hours and then to negotiate that with your family members and your husband, particularly as the other childcare, like how did that all like the puzzles all come about? Yes, abs absolutely. You know, you know now. Um, <laughs> so I've never, I've never had like a daily writing goal. And this was the first time where I would say, okay, for the next two weeks, every day, no matter what, I'm writing a thousand words. And I can do that in two to three, two to four hours. I can do that no matter what. 
I knew I could do that. So I kind of, you know, you kind of have to get a sense for your capacity. And I, I knew that I could do that. So, you know, when my husband is home, he could also very easily, you know, it's no problem to go to the coffee shop, get out of the house and leave, leave everything in the domestic sphere here, leave the dishes, leave the child, leave the mess all of it and and go. So that's what I did to kind of get that psychic space. I also, it must be stated, found just the most miraculous childcare, this little um, kind of hippie daycare a few blocks over. Um, this guy, Tim, it's called Tim's. This guy runs it. He looks like a wizard. He has a long beard. You can't email Tim. You can't call him. You just have to go there and find him. And um, I remember I went there when when Coco was so little and I was so desperate and we had no money, you know, because I wasn't working anymore. And that was another factor in all this. Like, I can't even get a babysitter. Like, you know, $15, $10 an hour is even that is a strain for us. So I went over there and I said, Tim, Mr. Wizard, like, I, I'm a I'm a writer. I haven't written for two years. I just need like three hours a day. I need the mornings. Do you have room? Can you help me? And he's like, sure. Yeah. You know, and (laughs) my bill was just like, it was not even a bill. I was like, how could this be? So the fact that there was someone who could, was providing, you know, daycare was flexible and was willing to like, give me a price that I could afford was essential to this whole process and to me getting started again. And it felt just, it felt like a miracle. Um, And it came like right when I needed it. So Mm. that was a huge piece of the puzzle. Do you remember the first time when you kind of sit in front, I don't know what's your writing device is like typewriter or handwriting (laughs) or, you know, computer. Do you remember the first time you kind of returned to that space of your own? What was it like? Because I remember my very vividly. (laughs) So I wanted to hear yours. You know, I don't remember particularly, but I would love to hear yours. What was (laughs) was yours like? So I wasn't like... Um, writing for five months at that point, mm-hmm. and then I didn't touch a computer at all. So when I return it, sitting in a very little corner, it's like just a corner for me, and that was enough for me. <laughs> so you know, I just curve out a corner, like no toys, no sight of a child, <laughs> children. You know, I just need that little sanity space for myself, and then I have my laptop, and then I turn on I don't I didn't remember my password (laughs) so I was like I can't I got locked out of my own laptop and I it took me two hours just to figure out what was my password how symbolic is that I was locked out of my own you know creative space yes exactly and then yeah exactly so and then I only had three hours so when I actually went into my laptop I have an hour to to write and I pretty much didn't actually write much I just you know kind of like kind of put myself together in a way because yeah. I felt like I was I was really meeting this person. I mean, I, w- I was having an ex- existential identity crisis at that moment. So I didn't even have the strength to write. And another another thing is not related to writing, but I also want to share a personal experience actually happened just a couple months ago. I was cleaning the house and um, our apartment and then we have this a two-bedroom apartment. So we have like a very hidden little closet that has a 
very secret way to a very tiny bathroom, which is I don't know who designed it. But needless to say, I went in and I haven't been to that bathroom for so long. That bathroom was just mine before,、mm. and then because I feel like that bathroom had this access to my past, and then anyway, so I went in. I was gonna clean because I hadn't been in there for a long time. And I realized I got this feeling of like I'm in this person's maid. I'm cleaning this person's like lipsticks and、uh. cleaning products. Those are all mine before, but I feel like so distant to, to this person. I feel like I'm hiding in this own identity shell of mine, and then I'm accessing to hers, and I'm trying to play. But I just realized, wait, this was me. This is my stuff. And then that really that moment kind of woke me up, and I found it really interesting and fascinating, obvious, but. Also, kind of in a way, kind of scary because I'm like, who am I, right?、Mm. So I think identity crisis, existential crisis, is kind of very common thing for any mother. So what, what kind of process did you have to come to <laughs> <laughs> to play with this? <laughs> I mean, I think it's so interesting that you said I sat down to write. And I was meeting this person, and then you you kept talking. But I'm like, yes, that that was my experience too.、Um, and oh my, I'm I'm utterly taken with this little magical weird bathroom. I mean, all of this. I'm like, you should write write that story. It's there's a fairy tale there or something. It's really compelling.、Um, but yeah, being the maid to your former self. That feels provocative and correct, you know.、Um, <laughs> I mean, I also had that sensation. I was hoping that your return to writing would jar something for me, and I, I think I had a similar experience, sort of sitting down and having to look around a little bit, you know, like what? Okay, what? Who am I? What am I doing? Where is she? You know, like. Where where is the person who used to know how to do this? Because it does feel like another self. And as I said earlier, I feel like I really abandoned that other self. And maybe there is a, a necessary abandonment that needs to take place. You know, at least for a few weeks or a few months,、um, because we are animals and we we do you know need. We do have this very raw,、uh, instinctual urge to just, you know, nest and take care of our babies. And、um, but how do we find our way back to ourselves? Because I think so many women get lost somewhere in there.、Um, and certainly, where we are transformed also after we have a child, like we're different people.、Um, But how do we stay in touch with the self that had like desires just for herself, and had、um, you know this big, vibrant、uh, self that that existed before her child? Like, how do we balance that? And I think that you know that that's the central question of Night Bitch is. Mm-hmm. How to how to take something for yourself, how to fully express、um, your passion, and how to also fully mother、uh, and fully be there for your child.、Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and then ultimately, it's the question that you ask in the book. It's like, what are you fighting for, right?、Mm. And then also, it's like, what, yeah, what kind of what kind of thing you want to preserve that it's still part of you, but then do you want to preserve for whose sake, right? For for just indulging that that the person you want to indulge, or actually can some a part of you can move forward as well. So Elizabeth, I think you had a question as well. No, no. I just、um, when you talked about the loaf story, I, it's interesting that both her and Nightbitch had this impulse to like create. Like I'm thinking about yeah, Nightbitch's final performance piece, and that she has she's like wants to go back to her gallery job and and kind of tap back into the, her creative self and her creative I don't know like pulse and and the, like life and movement there and. She feels stifled, I guess. So it's it's. I feel like it's just like pertinent to what you guys are talking about.、Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then that kind of tied back to the question I had in mind when I was reading the book about Nightbitch. I'm almost kind of like、um, flirt with this idea of maybe I'm God. Then if I can create this human being, <laughs> I'm a creator. Then I'm God. I create human being, right? Obviously, that you know. Then you. Then we, when even I was reading, I was like, "Yeah, maybe I I could be the idea could be you know interesting to to flirt with." But then you're like, "Hmm, you know, who am I to even give myself that、yeah. that thought?" You know? Yeah, I've and I've been. It's funny you bring that up because I have been thinking a lot about what is creativity. Like, what is it exactly? What are we doing when we are engaging our creativity? And I do think that when we engage that. It's a way of being in communion with whatever you want to call it—the divine, mystery, the transcendent, right? Create going into this creative space is a way of sort of being in communion with that, and artists express that communion, how you know, in whatever form—writing or painting or movement or or music, right? There's All these different ways of sort of coming out of that space, pulling out of that space,、um, and so I think that's kind of why she starts talking about being a god, right? Is that there's this sense that when you're in your creative self and the creative space, you are in touch with something larger, much in the same way you are as a mother who's created a child. I mean, I feel like. Entering into motherhood is also entering into something very divine. Sorry to use religious language, but again, like put whatever word you want on that. Like entering into something where you're touching something transcendent.、Um, and I think you know, for people, I was thinking, well, what what do non-creative people do? People who you know aren't really. And I think another way of entering into that is people who are really into the wilderness and the outdoors. Like that's this other way of like sort of communing with something. Much larger, and I'm sure there are other ways I'm not thinking of,、um, but I think that's how that's why that came in, and how it's all sort of tying together,、uh, and why it felt important that she was an artist and also a mother, and 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 you know how those were sort of in conversation with she, with each other, or communion with each other in the book.、Mm. Yeah, and it also kind of reminded me of、um, something I heard recently about. You know, like transcendent experience is almost like when you have a healing experience. When why are you creating something like your art, writing a book and stuff like that? But also that healing experience is also being collectively 
experienced by whoever is in touch with that artwork. And that's when it's transcendent. So I guess that really resonate with me because if you, okay, I, I then this is a question for you, Rachel. If you write a book, you write this book, Night Bitch, you came out of it healed most part of your of yourself, but then no resonation from like, or feedback from other people, this book locked into a locker. Do you think you would still have the experience today? Um, That's a great question. Yeah, I do. I mean, I think writing the book, crafting the story was a big piece of my journey, you know, me working through some things. And even if no one would have ever read it, um, but then I get to have this different experience because people have read it, which has it o- its own like intensities and challenges and gifts. Um, but yeah, I think either way, it's like a piece of the journey. And honestly, as I was writing it, I kept thinking, this is bonkers. Um, I don't know if any, you know, like if any publisher is going to want to publish this, where does this fit in the market? I mean, I wasn't thinking that too much, but it did cross my mind. Like, I don't know, dog mom book. Um, (laughs) but I just kept going because, you know, it was what I wanted to and needed to write. Yeah. Elizabeth, I wonder how did you pick up the book? Um, I don't remember. I don't remember how it found me. I remember, I think I had just kind of seen it like in the visual kind of maybe one of those collections where it's like the best books of the year or like what I've been reading lately. I, I'm a really big screenshotter when people are posting their, what they're reading. Right. So I think it just kind of found me. And then I picked up at the bookstore. I was like, okay, this is time for me to, to read this. So it just kind of fell into my lap, which is, it was great. And then it was so funny because I hadn't seen Sasha since, before the pandemic, I think, right? And then mm-hmm, she mm-hmm. came into the shop when I was yeah, like mid-reading the book and I was like, I was just thinking about you while I was reading this. You need to read it. I so know. It was just all these little bits of serendipity were really, it was really yeah, great. And then really when make she, it magic. Yeah, and when she told me that, you know, like she was going to interview you and she wanted me on board, I was like, this is this is amazing. Yeah, it's funny because, yeah, exactly. When the universe would feel like, is is conspiring reconfirm you yeah reconfirm me with you that like yeah this is the right way to go so i really love that i want to go back a little bit um a little bit again if you want to jump in anytime feel free um i want to kind of take you out of the book a little bit um about um let's go back to being a writer because in an interview you actually talk about you know writing has been or was a very secret kind of affair you had growing up because you didn't know writing could actually, you know, be something feasible to you, anyone can actually write to to make a living. And until a very big life change moment in your 20s, and then you kind of like, oh, I had to do this. It's now or never kind of thing. Mm. Can you take us there? Because you didn't actually talk about that in the interview. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I got to take you way back for this one. So <laughs> I grew we up. On ride. <laughs> <laughs> I grew up in the Appalachian foothills of Eastern Ohio on a Mennonite commune. So my parents moved moved us when I was really little to this intentional community where all these Mennonites 
you know, move there to live together intentionally in a spiritual community, which was a pretty radical way to grow up, right? That I had these models for people who were like living their truth, had made an intentional decision to go somewhere because like this was their values. This was what they wanted. Like community meant something to them. Friendship, being, you know, in in touch with their spirituality, in touch with, you know, their morals and values. So that's where I grew up in this. And then I went off to college, literally from the dead end of a dirt road. I got a scholarship and I went to Georgetown University. Georgetown is in Washington, D.C. This was during the Clinton era. Um, People go there because they want to be, they go to the School of Foreign Service. They want to be diplomats. You know, there's a lot of precociousness. There's a lot of international students. The students are very savvy. You know, most of the students come from very wealthy families. And so I was thrown into this completely different world with a completely different set of values. Um, And a lot of the values just had to do with like, you know, people were there because they wanted to like have a career and make a lot of money, which was really foreign to me and felt really foreign in my body. Like I have a physical memory of being there for four years. And when I return there, I feel the same way. It's a very uncomfortable physical sensation. And I really struggled there. You know, I questioned everything that was meaningful to me there. I was an English major and my plan after graduation was to go and get hired by an investment banking firm in New York and go into investment banking. But I, you know, I majored in literature and art. Um, but I, I was trying to shift my values to like align with this culture that I had become a part of. And it felt horrible. I felt horrible there. I didn't know how to be myself and also be a part of this like community that felt so foreign to me. And it caused just a huge crisis. I had a huge breakdown um, my senior year, which uh, I I was also in this crazy relationship. Long story short, I found myself, I dropped out of school before I graduated and I went to the desert in Arizona where I would spend the next decade of my life. It's very biblical here. Um, and I wound up, I wound up at this little hippie college in Prescott, Arizona called Prescott college, which was all about experiential education and the outdoors and, um, designing your own degree plan and doing what you wanted. And that's where I finished out my degree. And that is where I took my first writing class. And I don't think it's any coincidence, right? Because of course I wanted to be a writer. You know, I was always like writing in my journals, but I was like, how do I make money doing this? I can't be an artist. And once I was kind of at my most desperate moment, my most alone moment in the desert, it was like, okay, everything's been stripped away. Who are you? What do you want to do with your life? You're 21. How how are you going to do this? Figure it out, Rach. And that's where right it was like here's writing. I found, you know, like my writing mentor was there. She's like, "Hello. Here's here's what you're going to do." <laughs> you know, like the universe is like, 
here we go. And I started writing and I started writing stories um, to kind of show me the way because I didn't know how to how to exist, how to be a Mennonite girl who had left her community and her traditions and was now in the, I was like, what is this story? So I would kind of like put that in play and see what was happening. And, um, and so writing, that's when I was like, okay, I'm a writer. I'm going to be a writer. And I don't think I ever would have gotten there unless I had this huge explosion in my life. I would have gone to New York and become an investment banker, which I mean, it sounds mm. so crazy. That wouldn't have worked. It wouldn't have worked in any way. What was I thinking? Um, but I had to kind of take this detour and it was, you know, it was a big de- detour. Um, but I think, you know, it manifested because that's actually, that's what I really wanted. You know, like I didn't, I didn't want to go and be an investment banker. And I, every cell of me knew it except for like my conscious mind, like my body knew it. It's, we're literally coming back full circle to like the full, the first question and the first exploration of like the body knows first before you listen to it. Yeah. Um, and I mean, it's also of note that, you know, I would, I also got sober um, in Arizona, right? So clearing away sort of like the haze of college drinking um, and being sober in your 20s, like really makes everything a lot more clear, right? There's not this, this haze over you anymore. And um, you're finally able to like discern some things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then you also talk about almost like you had to create a new identity for yourself. And through writing, it's a process of a self-creation. So you are the god of your own, <laughs> <laughs> your own path. It's, and so at one point, I wonder, did you feel like you actually a writer now did you get to that point that you actually give yourself that permission to call yourself a writer I mean I think (laughs) I think I have never felt more like a writer than those two years when I wasn't writing in early motherhood Mm. where that silence really clarified for me that I was not in the right place uh when I wasn't making time and space for my writing practice. Um, I think, you know, I kind of took it for granted because I was in grad school and I was teaching and I was in that world. But then once you're, once you graduate, once you're out of that world, do you stop writing? Like who do you become? Um, What's still calling to you? And writing was still absolutely calling to me. Um, even when I wasn't doing it. And I think that's probably when I was like, oh yeah, I'm, I am a writer. Like that's, that's what I'm doing here. Mm-hmm. That's all my questions. I don't know, Elizabeth, you have any, any more? No, I think it was, it was so, oh, it was so great to just kind of like let the conversation flow and touch on everything that I think was covered in the book and that I wanted to get into and, and talk about. So mm-hmm. it's been lovely. Chatting I highlighted so much in the book that I, <laughs> I was like, oh my God, like when you highlight too much, you realize like there's no point of highlighting anymore. <laughs> the entire book is yellow. Yeah. So it's like, okay, that's just not doing its uh, purpose. But yeah, thank you so much, Rachel. Like this has been really, really 
you know, such a pleasure. And um, and also Elizabeth as well, you bring your perspective as well. Because I I think it is sometimes. All right.、Like、Thank you so much for staying till the end. I really hope you enjoy the conversation. And if you want to connect with Rachel or Elizabeth, all their links are in the show note. And if you want to order Rachel's book. You can head to any of your favorite independent bookstores, and、um, as always, I really hope you can take a second to leave us a review or comment on Apple Podcast or Spotify, because that's just gonna help us get into more ears. I was gonna say eyeballs, but ears, and also more people can find us. Again, thank you so much, and I will speak to you soon. Okay, bye.